0: Snuff production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing, it's Monday the 18th of October and in this episode we're talking about psychics.
1: This goes up to the very top, world leaders chief execs, even police murder investigators are all paying for and hiring psychics to advise them on juggernaut decisions.
0: So there's clearly some concerning use of psychics, but our guest Gary Nunn
1: also reveals some of the hidden value. It's a realm in which, a spiritual realm in which women can empower themselves. And feel heard and feel seen and give advice Mm. and be taken seriously.
0: The psychic test, that is our briefing in the second half of this episode. First, Anarchist Mathurst is here with today's headlines.
2: Senior National Party MPs are still holding out on a decision to back the government's plan for net zero emissions by 2050. Now that's despite a four hour meeting late on Sunday.
1: It would be stupid
0: for anyone to come to this place representing their electorates and simply blindly sign up to something they haven't seen the detail of and then say within four hours you've got to come up with a decision. That's not going to happen. That's not how the National Party rolls. So that's the Agriculture Minister and Deputy Nationals Leader David Littleproud speaking to the ABC. Um, Barnaby Joyce told News Corp following the meeting that his party still wasn't convinced net zero could be achieved without negatively affecting the region's and the party will meet again today. So, Annika, this is getting pretty dramatic, because on Friday, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison committed to going to the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow, um, seemingly before he got the support of the National Party on the policy, so he could end up going to Glasgow without net zero.
2: Yeah, well, that's assuming we think his policy is to deliver net zero. Look, it does sound like the Liberals are there. There was a I guess a plan presented to cabinet, but as we know within the coalition, you have to have the nationals on board. So there's 21 nationals MPs and senators. They all arrived in Canberra a little bit early and had a presentation by the energy minister, Angus Taylor, who pitched the plan. Now, no one really knows what happens in that meeting, but my understanding is this is about bargaining, which all politics is. So the government are putting a plan to sort of, I guess, compensate the regions. It's meant to be worth up to $20 billion, and that's where negotiations start. So it's really about national MPs, getting the most they can for their electorates. Now, I hate clumping them in as one. Um Someone once said to me that national MPs are more like independents. They're joined by the party and they believe in the party, but they've really got very different electorates and a lot of them are on board. The Victorians outside of Bridget McKenzie seem to be more keen on getting to this goal than, say, some of the Queenslanders making it less of a farming issue and more of an issue around those communities up there that rely on coal and what they can get to try and, I guess, make this transition a little bit easier.
0: So if this is all about bargaining and how much the Nationals can get out of the Liberals, um, if they want them to sign up to this policy, surely the way this has played out, the Nationals have a, a lot of bargaining power because it seems like Scott Morrison... I mean, you would think he would only want to go to Glasgow if he had something strong to present. Otherwise, he, he didn't have to go. He only committed on Friday, and that was after we heard a grab from the Queen, who didn't seem too impressed. Um, don't you think that, that situation and timing of this gives the Nationals a lot of bargaining power because they could embarrass the PM?
2: Oh, look, it certainly does, but they wouldn't be the first uh, smaller party to to do that. For years in the 90s, we saw a very small group of Democrats sort of, uh, you know, a lot of key decisions had to run through them first. This is how politics works, um, unfortunately, for a lot of people. But it, it does sort of get, I guess, um, a fairer outcome when you look at it. There's They're there to represent regional Australia. There's 21 of them. That's not an insignificant number when you look at the numbers in Canberra. It's more than the Greens have. It's more than a lot of minor parties have. So those people in those regions will say, well, this is why we elect these people to go to Canberra to, you know, get a fair deal for us. The only thing we do know is Barnaby Joyce has basically ruled out any change to our 2030 targets. So while there are 2050 targets, the government has already said they want to reduce uh, emissions by 26 to 28% by 2030. He's saying they're sticking to that. That was a policy they took to the last election. So there'll be no shifting there, you would have thought, but It looks like uh, the government are going hard, or the Liberal Party, to try and get the nationals across the line with what they might want for that 2050 target.
0: And good news for you people in Melbourne, the lockdown will end on Friday. We're moving from lockdowns to lockouts. I'm not going to lock people down to protect people who won't protect themselves. So this round of ease restrictions, which comes as uh, Victoria hits the 70% double vax target, it kicks in on Thursday night. And Annika, it comes four days earlier than expected, which is great, but it also brings more freedoms than originally expected. What are those changes?
2: Yeah, from midnight on Thursday, we'll be able to have people to the home, which really wasn't something that was going to be guaranteed until that 80%. So this weekend, Melbournians will be able to have 10 people in their house. Restaurants, bars and cafes will reopen. Now, that was originally meant to be for outdoor dining only. Not great for Melbourne, given the amount of rain we've had recently. Mm. They'll be allowing people inside. Uh, that'll be capped but still it's a really good freedom that we didn't think we'd had. And also there's a 15k travel limit on us at the moment when allowed to cross the city, I guess. That's going to be lifted. It doesn't mean Melbournians are going to be able to go to the regions, but Melbourne's a big place. You'll be able to cross the city to see loved ones on the other side from this weekend. There's also a staged returning to school, but there are some things that are still going to be in place for a while, Tom. One of them is masks remaining mandatory outdoors. We will have to wait until we hit that 80% target in early November before that goes.
0: Big changes there in Victoria. Um, Comes as New South Wales hits the 80% double-vax target. We hit that over the weekend, so restrictions are easing even further, and just one week after the last round of restrictions ease, so it's a pretty good vibe in New South Wales at the moment. Um, From this morning, masks are no longer required in the workplace except in hospitality. Students are starting to go back to school. Um, Vertical drinking is on in pubs, Ernica, which is Great news. You want to be able to work the room, of course. Mm -hmm. And all premises will be able to operate with a one person per four square metre rule indoors and a one person per two square metres outdoors. Plus, you can have 20 visitors in your home and community sport is back on.
2: Travel between Sydney and the regions, just like in Victoria, won't be allowed for a little bit longer. That'll come into effect on November one which after Friday's big announcement is also when international borders will open. Premier Dominic Perrottet announced that hotel quarantine will be a thing of the past for people that are double vaccinated, Tom, but the Prime Minister had a little bit of a different idea.
0: Yeah, this was, I thought, quite strange the way it played out on Friday. Um, Big announcement from Dominic Perrottet, we're opening the borders in November. Anyone can come and go if they're vaccinated, only the unvaccinated will need to go into some kind of quarantine or not be allowed to travel. Um, And it it seems like a a massive statement, and clearly it was because a few hours later, the Prime Minister gave a press conference saying, hang on a minute, these are federal government decisions and we're not letting in tourists before we bring Australians home first, then it's foreign workers and foreign students. Um, So he had to rein in the New South Wales Premier. What do you think happened there? Why did Perrottet make that big announcement without consulting the federal government who ultimately control the borders.
2: This is the great problem of this pandemic, isn't it? Whilst the state governments decide how many people come in through their use of quarantine, they actually don't decide who comes into the country. So the only sort of, Mm. I guess, lever they have to pull is how many people they'll take each week or each day from overseas through the hotel quarantine program. We know New South Wales has taken heaps of people through that program. So Mm. getting rid of it is a great thing but not if you don't decide who comes in. Now, it was understandable that the Prime Minister would rein him in on this, not only because it's a a federal responsibility, but it's also part of the national plan that we do get international students. And we do get those desperate Aussies that have been waiting so long to get home and see family. We need them back in first before we can start having, I guess, tourists from overseas and and other people that just might want to visit. So uh, it didn't last that long, but it's still a great change to recognise that people that are double vax pose a lower risk and that they don't need to go into quarantine.
0: And Western Australian police are searching for a four-year-old missing girl in the state's remote north and they're not ruling out abduction.
2: Authorities have spent the weekend searching for Cleo Smith, who was last seen at her family's campsite early on Saturday morning. Police say they are gravely concerned and aren't ruling out any possibilities, revealing the girl's sleeping bag was also missing.
0: Yeah, they've been reviewing CCTV footage from roadhouses in the area and scouring the waters off the coastal campsites as part of the search.
2: And the husband of missing fraudster Melissa Caddick has spoken out about her disappearance, saying he believes she was murdered.
1: If it came out, if the police came to me and said Melissa was murdered, I'd be like, it makes sense. I don't
0: believe that she committed suicide. So that's Anthony Coletti speaking to Channel 7. Um, Coletti said his wife was shell-shocked following the raid on their home by financial authorities investigating the $23 million fraud. And Kanik went missing the following day, as we know, and then her decomposed foot was found washed up on the New South Wales South Coast three months later. So finally, Annika, we got, I don't know if insight's the right word, but we found out a bit more from the partner last night.
2: Yeah, I don't feel like I learned anything after that interview. It was rather (laughs) incredible. Coletti denied any involvement in his wife's disappearance or in the alleged fraud. Uh, He's actually never been named as a suspect by police. And he says that he is a victim and she is a victim of ASIC more than anything else.
0: And he made a link between ASIC, the financial regulator, and ASIC's, the shoe brand, which was one of the shoes found washed up with her her remains in it. That seemed kind of bizarre.
2: Yeah, he said that point wasn't lost on him. It was definitely lost on me, but uh, it was not lost on him.
0: (laughs) All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Um, Jan Franz about to join us as we talk about the world and the hidden value of psychics.
3: Hello, it's Jan Fran here. Today's briefing investigates the world of psychics and asks the fundamental question, are they dangerous charlatans or do they actually provide some real value?
0: Yeah, and as you'll find out, maybe not the value you're expecting, right, Jan?
3: Yeah, well, Gary Nunn, is our guest on the show today. He's a journalist. He's looked into this. He's written a book on it called The Psychic Tests. His investigation takes him from his own sister to a stockbroking firm, all the way up to a US president, which was really surprising for me.
0: Gary, thanks for joining us. The journey starts with your sister who was going to psychics to help her grieve the loss of your father. And she'd actually been going to psychics for years before his death. How did you feel about that?
1: In the years before my dad died, I thought it was funny because I thought that what they were telling her was clearly not true and I didn't really know how seriously she'd been taking it all along. So it kind of formed part of our sibling banter and I poked fun at her about it. When dad died suddenly in 2015, it grew a lot darker because... My sister, Taryn, sought out the services of various different mediums. I was concerned that they were freeze-framing her in the bargaining phase of grief Mm. and purporting to bring him back in the room, and she really believed that. So suddenly I I was concerned that her vulnerability and her grief were being exploited for money.
3: So, Gary, this then sort of led you down... I guess a slightly wider path of, of looking into psychics and, and the industry and who uses them. And you sort of come up with some sort of surprising findings. Tell us what your investigation entailed and what you found.
1: Yes, I spent two years investigating the world of psychics, mediums, and astrologers. And I discovered just how high up this goes. So, initially, with my sister, Tarim, I had considered her to be the classic kind of client of a psychic, which is she was certainly vulnerable, she was grieving, and I even thought that perhaps they were a little gullible and naive. And that's when I realised that actually this goes up to the very top. World leaders, chief execs, even police murder investigators are all paying for and hiring psychics to advise them on juggernaut decisions and taking them very seriously And sometimes with catastrophic results, the thing that really wanted, made me want to write a book on this subject was as a journalist, I reported on a story of Australia's biggest stockbroking firm collapse. And at the centre of that collapse was a psychic, the executive chairman of BBY, which at the time was Australia's biggest stockbroking firm had hired this psychic who advised him on where to invest the company's stocks and shares based on her psychic advice. But she also advised him on who to hire and even who to fire. So that's what gave me this hunch that maybe the people seeking out psychics aren't just like my sister, maybe they're like him, which was very powerful, authoritative and responsible for hundreds of staff and millions of dollars. I
3: must say I was so surprised to hear that the chairman of the biggest stockbroking firm in Australia used a psychic to decide who to hire and who to fire. But you also found that it goes all the way up to US presidents. Ronald Reagan was big on psychics.
1: With Ronald Reagan, what happened was there was an assassination attempt on his life in his first term of the presidency and his wife Nancy was terrified and she hired a psychic called Psychic Joan Quigley and Psychic Joan advised the Reagans on every single movement in Ronald Reagan's schedule. There were what was deemed to be called lucky and unlucky days for him to leave the White House. It transpires that Psychic Joan had so much of an influence over his schedule and his presidency that Air Force One could not take off until Psychic Joan had cleared the time. She had a say over when Ronald Reagan could address the nation, when he could hold a press conference, when he could announce his re-election campaign, and also even discussions with Mikhail Gorbachev and military interventions in Grenada and Libya. Now, the reason I find that so fascinating is because of the way America is... It's very, very difficult, almost impossible to get voted in as president in America if you are an atheist. Now, to my mind, there is no difference between the supernatural miracles that a person of faith believes in and the supernatural miracles that a psychic and a believer of psychic believes in. And yet we treat them so differently. We give people of faith huge gravitas and credence and respect but with the believers of psychics, we deride them and we mock them and we laugh at them and we do all the things that I did to my sister. So I think that there's an interesting disparity there, which I mm. explore in the book.
0: Yes, but arguably they're quite different in the sense that psychics offer you no transparency. They they just come out with these predictions and you don't understand the process. Um with the major faiths, they have, you know, the Bible or the Quran or the Torah. They they basically have a transparent manifesto about what they believe.
1: This is true, although the manifesto contains a number of supernatural miracles. So astrologers would say, because I talk about those in the book as well, and astrologers would say, well, actually, we do have a doctrine of our own that was set down in ancient times, and that is the doctrine of the horoscope. You know, each of the different... 12 star signs denoting personality traits and compatibility with others but there's a thing called the barnum effect and the barnum effect is named after the greatest showman barnum because there's something for everyone and he was a master of manipulation so these vaguely ambiguously worded horoscopes of all the different star signs are phrased in such a way that people become very attached to and possessive of them and think that they have In fact, they specifically apply to them and they cannot be about anyone else. One of the things that I did find really interesting was there was a former astrologer and tarot card reader who used to do readings down in the rocks in Sydney. Her name is Felicity Carter. She was the first person to discourage me from laughing at these people as I had done and, and kind of being a bit condescending towards them. She said, this is a spiritual realm in which women who are so often shut out from the hierarchies of major organized religions. It's a realm in which, a spiritual realm in which women can empower themselves and feel heard and feel seen and give advice Mm. and be taken seriously. Mm. And that started to shape it a little differently in my mind. And it's a way in which they can yeah empower themselves and have agency. So
0: after all your investigation, you... you I guess clearly went on a journey of being more accepting and and open-minded, but still have massive question marks over the value and the misuse of psychics in so many different parts of society. Did you ultimately find that they provide any real value at all, whether that's emotional connection like you just mentioned about being heard or emotional exploration or even potentially throwing up new ideas in a criminal investigation that's gone cold? I mean, where do you see any value, if any, in psychics
1: and their contribution? I definitely discovered some value in the psychic realm. There was a very important thing I had to do in order to reveal that value and see it for myself. And that was to hang up my cloak as a skeptic. I decided to adopt an agnostic approach to this world in the book. And that's why each chapter is a different test because that one test of is are these supernatural miracles true is the most boring question that you can ask because we don't know the answer. We, we know what the probable answer is and people have fixated on that test since time immemorial. Well, not the every – no, the thing God. is
0: I guess for, for us as journalists as part of what we do is finding the, the truth of a situation but life's not always about the truth.
1: You're right. Things don't have to be true for us to find truth. And that is Mm. why we read fiction and that's why we watch TV series and we watch films. You can find truth in things that are not true. Once I kind of realised that that was a point in which people that didn't think like me that perhaps were willing to suspend their disbelief, I discovered that they can encourage lifelong romance, psychics. I discovered that psychics can alleviate loneliness, that they can ease the sting of grief, um, that they can ease the dark pain of depression and that they can um, help people to untangle life's messes and catch 22s with dazzling flair and charisma. And it's a very seductive experience because I went and tried quite a few psychics myself. When someone sits opposite you and they talk to you solely about you, it's a very seductive and powerful experience because they have breakneck intuition and hyperperception and that you really feel heard never underestimate the placebo effect and the psychological power of feeling seen and heard in a world of hyper distraction and uh, everyone's so busy and you rarely go somewhere and focus on one thing for just an hour without your phone without anyone around you interrupting and I found when I went to go and see these people I'd go in feeling quite good and I'd sometimes come out feeling even better because they would envisage for me a future which I wasn't able to envisage for myself. Mm. They nourished my dreams and they fostered my ambitions and they heard my anxieties. That's when I discovered all of the things that psychics do when you sort of suspend your disbelief and it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Mm. It gives you an opportunity to contemplate and reflect in a world that doesn't give us many opportunities to do that.
0: That was Gary Nunn and his book is called The Psychic Test. That was a fantastic and a beautiful conclusion, I thought, Jan, that if you you just step off the hyper-rational version of the truth for a moment, that there can be all these other, probably I would classify them as emotional and psychological benefits from this Mm. connection people get with psychics.
3: Yeah, I kind of liken it to an 80-20 rule. If you're going to be a sceptic, be 80% of a sceptic and leave the door a little bit open, <laughs> you never know what you might find,
0: right? Yeah, and I think if you get too hardcore about like the granular facts sometimes as we sort of have to do for our jobs that you can miss the point and the point can be an emotional one or something that actually goes deeper and far beyond the rational world as we understand it Tomorrow on The Briefing we're talking to probably the world's most well, one of the world's most famous astronauts, Chris Hadfield Listener.